Good morning, LifePoint. How are we doing today? Okay, okay. A little bit tired. So, uh, my name is Fred. If I have not met you, um, I get to be your spiritual formation pastor. Um, and I'm excited to continue our series called 90 Today. Um, uh, have you guys been here for a little while? Been here for a minute? Maybe a few of you guys are new, hopefully. Uh, we've been going through a series looking at spending 90 days with Jesus. Um, and that's kind of been a focus for us. We've been in the Bible in a year. And uh, the Bible in a year is pretty, uh, I won't say pretentious, but that, that's saying a lot that you get through the whole Bible in a year. And we've been kind of taking a 10,000 foot view of scripture, of the entire Bible to see the scope of everything that God has done. And so this series um, inside of that called 90 is going to be focused on spending 90 days with Jesus. So an anonymous Raiders fan, he talks about the Raiders all the time, so I think he's really a fan. He once said that it takes 21 days to form a habit um, and it takes 90 days to form a lifestyle, okay? So if we can just spend 21 days with Jesus or even 90 days, our entire lives could be changed. Um, and I know as a believer in Christ, if I could just get that, if I could have this deep desire every moment of every day to spend time with Jesus, if that was a lifestyle um, in a more, more way than it is right now, I would be so happy, okay? And I think all of us can relate to that. And so uh, each month of this series between uh, the beginning of January and Easter, it's about 90 days, we're going to be have it, having a different focus. And this month's focus is about what people said about Jesus, so people said some things about Jesus. If you didn't know, even today, people talk about him and they say things. Um, and back then, people said things about Jesus. And today, we're going to answer the question, what did people about, say about Jesus, with the answer of that he was a blasphemer. Okay? That sounds like blasphemy to say that on stage at a church, right? That, that Jesus was accused of blasphemy. He was accused three times explicitly in the Bible and, and, and a lot more times implicitly of lying about God. Blasphemy means to lie about God and who he is and what he has done. And so uh, the reason he was accused of this is because he claimed to be God himself. Okay, Jesus claimed to be God. That's the most striking characteristic of Jesus, if you didn't know that. He claimed divine nature, that he claimed to be transcendent, um, and that he claimed to be more than what we think he is. And, and today, I think a lot of Christians would nod or head at that. We're like, yeah, of course, it makes sense that Jesus is God, right? It makes total sense. Back then, they did not know this. They didn't believe this. They didn't quite understand this, okay? Even if you don't know Jesus today, you would still know, hey, Christians believe that Jesus is divine, okay? He is their guy, and they worship him as God. And so um, a few things to define is that Jesus is not uh, your pet, okay? So Jesus is not like the good old boy that brings you a bone. He fetches. He's always smiling at you. He's not your pet. Um, Jesus is not your bud, okay? He's not your buddy old pal. You're going to go pal around with Jesus, okay? And he is not your boss. He's not the dude with a coffee cup saying, hey, go do this, go do that Jesus is more than those things, okay? Because um, a lot of times what we do is we downgrade Jesus, you guys ever notice that? You walk with Jesus long enough, all of a sudden you forget about the beauty and the power of who he is, and you forget that he's hearing every thought, that he's in the room with you, that he is God himself, that he is transcendent, and we kind of downgrade him. Um, what we know, according to what we're going to read today in the Gospels, is that Jesus is more significant than your parents, he is more powerful than the president, and he is more transcendent than Taylor Swift. 
I am so sorry, Swifties. Th- this is true. Uh, Jesus is all of these things. He, he is beyond us. And, and when Jesus revealed himself as God, and he told people that he, is, he was divine when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, people had a visceral reaction to it. A lot of people, uh, they, they, they accused him of blasphemy, okay? Like I said, blasphemy is lying about God in, in a really bad way. It's slandering the name of God. It's, it's misrepresenting God, and they accuse Jesus of blasphemy, and that's considered to be the worst sin, okay? Um, um, Jesus kind of hints at it that the blasphemy of the Spirit is perhaps the worst sin, um, but all throughout history and even church history, this is the reality. So the uh, Heidelberg Catechism says this. It says, no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That it is a problem if you lie about God. I guess that kind of makes sense, right? Like if, we, if I misre- misrepresent God on purpose up here, that is a big problem. And they accused Jesus of blasphemy when he walked the earth because he claimed to be God. Uh, the Pharisees did not have categories for God being more than one person. Uh, we believe that God is triune, that he is three persons, yet one God. God is a father, God is a son, and God is the Holy Spirit. All three equally God, but also God together, okay? That's three in one. It's kind of a mystery. That's one of the great mysteries of our faith is what we call the Trinity. But when the, the Pharisees and the scribes heard Jesus um, say these things, they, they said he was uh, being blasphemous. So who here has seen the movie A Few Good Men? Raise your hand. Okay, a few, a lot of us. Okay, so A Few Good Men, it's a courtroom drama. Um, um, in the movie, there's this colonel named Jessup. He's presiding over Guantanamo Bay, um, and under his command, a Marine mysteriously dies. Tom Cruise is the lawyer. He gets him on the stand. Um, this is where the famous line comes in, right? What, what does Jack Nicholson scream at Tom Cruise? <laughs> okay, does that, yeah, you can't handle the truth when Tom Cruise demands the truth. And after this, after Colonel Jessup admits to his cover-up in this, in this Marine's death and that he actually caused it, um, um, he accuses Tom Cruise um, when, when they arrest Colonel Jessup of putting American lives in danger. He says, you've weakened America and you've put lives in danger. When ironically, it was Colonel Jessup who did exactly that. He had this Marine killed. And so that's what these Pharisees are doing, is they're accusing Jesus. And as they accuse him, guys, they're committing the very sin that they're saying that Jesus does. They didn't understand that God could come as a man. They had no categories for the incarnation. Even beyond that, they, had, they, they were distorted by sin. So sin is this idea that we've broken God's law, that we're, we've rejected God as God, and it distorts our view of reality. And these Pharisees and scribes and even other people, they couldn't see Jesus properly because of their sin. And so we're going to be looking at the day uh, today, we're going to be looking at three instances where Jesus is accused of blasphemy. So great positive message today, okay? Um, and the reason we're going to do this is because we think it's important um, on what people said about Jesus, not because it's true, right? So when you read that with your kids, you're like, oh, naughty, naughty Pharisees for lying about Jesus, right? Um, Jesus is such a sweet little guy. Why would they do that to him? But, but we, we think it's important what they said about him because what it reveals. So what others said about Jesus um, um, is important because it, not because it's true, but because it reveals the reaction he caused in people. So if he created such a visceral reaction, we know something's happening, right? Like when, some, when your kid walks in and they're freaking out, you know something has happened, regardless of what, what bad or good, right? And so this reaction shows that, that some, it reveals something about Jesus. And we're going to look at that today. And so um, um, as we go through this, we're going to look at three um, reasons why Jesus is accused of blasphemy, three things that he claims to be. Um, we're going to steal a page out of Jack Nicholson's book. As my main point today is that we can't handle the truth. 
Just like these Pharisees couldn't handle the truth of Jesus being divine and man. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, but, but the word that we use for that is, is the incarnation. Um, that means that God took on flesh. He incarnated. He took on flesh in his son, Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus, you're a guest here, like, I don't believe any of this. You should drop that on your Christian friends, and they'll be very impressed. That, you know, that, oh, that reminds me of the incarnation of Jesus. Um, they'd be very impressed by that. So my main point today is that we can't handle the truth. Um, and as we go through this, we're going to see the, 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 the biggest reason that they killed Jesus, the, the, the far and away main reason that Jesus died, is because he claimed to be God. So um, we've got a, a few stops on the way. Um, we're going to see how Jesus is my judge, Jesus is my shepherd, and then lastly, Jesus is my king or my master, okay? Um, we're going to walk through these, and we're going to see why each one of these created this visceral reaction. So let's go and look at this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to see Jesus as judge, okay? Judge Jesus. It says this. So he, Jesus, got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. So right before this, uh, Jesus had crossed the Sea of Galilee. If you guys remember, he wasn't on a boat. He was walking on water. Uh, he was kind of passing the disciples. They freak out. He gets in the boat. They go to a city, um, um, the Decapolis, or 10 little cities uh, together, and then Jesus drives demons out of um, um, a couple men in a graveyard, and they go into, into pigs. The demons uh, drive the pigs off a cliff, and the people see this, and they tell Jesus to leave. Um, and so Jesus says, okay, and he hops back in the boat, and he goes back to the other side of the lake to Capernaum, which is his hometown, okay? So he got in the boat and crossed over to his own town. Just then, some men brought him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And we're going to get back to that in a minute because that's kind of a weird thing to say. After this, some of the scribes said to themselves in their minds, he's blaspheming. This is the first instance of a blasphemy. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, why are you thinking evil thoughts in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher and go home. So he got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God who had given such authority to men. So we see um, um, Jesus is revealing himself as the judge. And just kind of a little highlights of where we're going to go. Um, judge Jesus claims divine authority. Um, he claims to be God when he forgives sin. Um, he shows perfect knowledge and he reveals impossible mercy. And so as Jesus got back to Capernaum, um, what another account says that he was in a house, four men bring him another man uh, laying on a bed or a stretcher or a mat, um, and they put him before Jesus, and, and they expect something of him because they knew this guy had healed people. If you don't know Jesus, he was always healing people and teaching people. There are some places where he did not um, because of the lack of faith, but he was always healing people. And he said, and what the text says is because of these guys' faith, and this man's faith in Jesus, that Jesus could heal him, he looks down at the man and he says, son, take courage, your sins are forgiven. And what's intriguing about that is that it doesn't seem like they wanted, he wanted forgiveness, right? It's kind of like when, when you're, um, like when you put a, a paralyzed person before Jesus, you expect something, right? It's like um, when somebody's cooking bacon in the house, right? Now everybody saunters over to the stove. You guys ever seen this? And even like your neighbor's like popping his head in and, and, and they didn't come to talk to you. They want, what do they want? They want bacon, right? And so they put this guy before Jesus because they wanted him to heal him. 
Um, and, and, and just so you know, why Jesus addresses sin is because back then, and some of it was true, uh, sin was associated, or uh, 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 disability or, or, or things wrong with your body or your mind was associated with sin. And that was not always the case. Jesus is clear about that. Sometimes people are, are broken in, in that way to glorify God, but, but a lot of times it was associated with sin. So this man would have been called a sinner. He would have grown up knowing that he was sinful and broken. And what does Jesus do? The first thing, he speaks to his heart and he says, take courage, your sins are forgiven. But what that does is it causes this reaction inside the Pharisees as they, or the scribes, as they hear this. And the scribes were the ones um, who copied the Old Testament and they translated the Old Testament and they studied the Old Testament. They considered themselves the gatekeepers of God. And they thought they knew God best. And so when Jesus claims divine authority to forgive sin, they have this visceral, they, they all of a sudden, uh, uh, in their minds, they think he's blaspheming. And what we see is that Jesus hears their thoughts. Like he has this perfect knowledge that in this he reveals he is God and he looks right at them and he says, why are you thinking evil thoughts in your heart, in your head? And then he's going to show, hey, um, which is easier to say? Like, like, hey, I'm going to prove to you that I can forgive sin, okay? And I'm going to do it through doing something miraculous. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and go home? And, and, and of course, the answer is to tell somebody their sins are forgiven, right? Like, like it, it, you can just say something that you can't prove or you can actually do something miraculous. And Jesus says the thing he can't prove yet and it causes this reaction. He's waiting for this reaction. And then he says, okay, I'm gonna prove to you that I can forgive sin by healing this man. He turns to the man and says, says, get up, take your bed and go home. And the man gets up, takes his mat and he goes home. And he proves that he has authority to forgive sins. Does that make sense, guys? Like if I say something like crazy and then I back it up with a miracle, I'm gonna be a lot more believable at that point. And the people thought that, that um, Jesus now had authority to forgive sin. Um, I want to ask you guys a question. Um, because th this guy kind of, he, 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 there are two things that happen to this guy. Like he's either going to get healed or he's going to get heaven, right? He's going to get forgiven or he's going to get a, a whole body. And I want to ask if that was you and you could only choose one, which one would you choose? Would you choose healing or would you choose heaven? Which one matters more? Because what's interesting, guys, is that when Jesus tells this man, your sins are forgiven, who does not react? Who does not get upset? One man, he's laying on the floor. The, the man who's paralyzed, is, he's not upset that he's forgiven. Even his thoughts don't register with Jesus, that he's, that he's reacting to what he said. He accepts the forgiveness. Do you guys see that? That was good enough for him. He didn't demand healing. He accepted the forgiveness. And I wonder if we're the same. And by the way, this was the first reason that they killed Jesus, because he claimed to be God by forgiving sin. And, and, but then Jesus is going to escalate it in John chapter 10. He's going to take it a step further and say, hey, I'm not just the judge who forgives sin. I am, I am the shepherd who leads in God's place. And that's going to be super important because God alone is shepherd. That's a very intimate role that God has with the people. And Jesus says, that's me. So let's look at this. Um, John chapter 10, verse 23 says this, Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. The temple was in uh, Jerusalem. The Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. The, the Messiah w was a term for a, an anointed king to come, a prophesied king that was going to come and rescue God's people. Okay, And they, they saw Jesus do these things, but Jesus never openly said, I'm the Messiah. Okay, At least not to this crowd. 
Um, um, and, and he said this, I did tell you, Jesus is answering their question, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them, the, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. He's saying it doesn't matter. This, this question is irrelevant because you're not mine. You're not my people. You're not my sheep. And, and this is where the temperature gets a little, goes down a little bit, okay? Um, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice like a good shepherd, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. And, and this, is, this is the moment. This is what he says. I and the Father are what? He says we're one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? We aren't stoning you for good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So, so what we see is this, they had this, again, this visceral reaction when Jesus claimed divinity. Um, what we see is that Jesus is a shepherd, and shepherd Jesus calls out goats, not Tom Brady, like goats, like in the sense of like false sheep that aren't really his sheep. Uh, we see that he grants eternal life and that he leads in God's place, okay? And, and, and this is what really upsets them. So Jesus is in the temple, like we just read. Um, these people are in suspense. They want to know, are you the Messiah? Like, are you the king who's coming to rescue us? You, you got to tell us. You just have to tell us plainly. And then Jesus says, it doesn't matter to you because you're not mine. You're not my people. Um, you are not my sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. So Jesus calls them out as saying, you're not among my people. You're goats among sheep. And then what he says is, is, I'm the good shepherd. Right before this in John chapter 9 was the very famous speech. I'm the good shepherd. Um, um, I, I let the sheep in. I'm also the gate. Um, I lay down my life for the sheep. You guys, I mean, if you don't know Jesus, you probably have heard about this or read this uh, scripture before. Um, Jesus says, I'm not like the hired hand or the thief. Um, um, I, will, I will die for my sheep is what he says. And now he carries that analogy on. And he says that you guys are not of my sheep. And those who are of my sheep, they know my voice. And I give them eternal life. And, and, and right there, the bar all of a sudden gets raised. Because now Jesus is claiming eternity. Because only an eternal being can give eternal life. Does that make sense? Like, only an eternal being can grant eternal life. And Jesus says, I I'm going to give it to my sheep. And, and he's implying that he is the shepherd who leads in God's place. And he, he kind of uh, uh, encapsulates that by saying, I and the Father are one. If there's any confusion, I'm not just claiming to be the Messiah. I'm claiming to be God himself. The Father and I are equal, and we are one together. And again, they didn't have categories for God becoming a man and God being more than one person. And this drops the temperature in the room. As all of a sudden, they stop listening to Jesus, and they're looking for a weapon to murder him. Like, you've got to say something pretty strong to get everybody in the room to want to kill you instantly. But that's what happens. They are looking for rocks to stone him. And Jesus says, hey, which one of my good works are you going to kill me for? He's, he's, they're saying, it's not for your good works. We're going to kill you because you, a man, make yourself God. And so you might be listening to this, and you might be like, well, why should I care? Like, it's cool that, that Jesus is God. I kind of follow him, or maybe you don't know him. Um, like, what, it, what, is the, what does it matter that it's nuanced, that God is, is more than one person? And I would say it matters because you have to go to that other person to get to God. 
So we don't just, we don't just worship a generalized vanilla God of, hey, we worship God. We're about the Bible. That is the gospel. That is not the gospel. That is, we are about Jesus, that Jesus alone reveals the Father and the Spirit. Does that make sense, guys? Jesus is the center of our faith. And if you, and if you want to know the Father, if you want to know your creator and the one who loves you and the one who has all power, you have to go through his son, Jesus. You can't get around him. And what that means is that if you're a believer and you're like running, you've got to go back to him. Like there's no way around having life without going to Jesus. It's, it's impossible. And, and if you don't know the Lord, you have to go to him because there's no life outside of him. And so we don't just have this generalized, you know, American God. We just love, we're all about God and we're good boys and girls and we have the Bible. We, we believe in the gospel that Jesus died on a cross that Jesus is the son of God, that he's the perfect sacrifice, that he gave up his life for us. And it matters because you have to go through Jesus to get to the father. And so uh, ultimately this wasn't the reason why they killed him. It wasn't just because he claimed to be um, um, the judge and claimed to be the shepherd. They killed him because he claimed to be the king. He claimed to be God himself, God's son. And so um, after this, um, um, uh, a time later, Jesus is arrested. I think a lot of us know the story. Um, and he's arrested on a Thursday at night. And before the trial the next day, they kind of have this um, um, faux trial where essentially they gather all the priests together, the leaders. And what they do is they bring in these false witnesses to accuse Jesus. Um, and we're going to see lastly that Jesus is my king or he's our master. And this is where my main point really comes in is that we can't handle the truth. These guys, time and time again, they couldn't handle it. And I'm going to guess that sometimes we can't either. So it says this in Mark 14, 60. Um, it says, then the high priest stood up before them all. This is at night, probably around midnight, 1 a.m. I'm there at the high priest's home um, and, and questioned Jesus. Um, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? So the Pharisees, they had gathered false witnesses and they coached them on what to say to accuse Jesus. But what happened is, as people were telling stories about Jesus and they're accusing him of sin, is their stories begin to get crossed and it doesn't make sense. And they didn't do a very good job of lying, okay? And so the high priest has had enough and he stands up to close out the trial. He says, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah? And then he adds this little bit to bait the hook. He knew, he knew, he didn't believe this was true, but he wanted Jesus to respond to it, to condemn himself. And he does. He says, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one, the son of God? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. So Jesus admits publicly in a trial to being God. Um, And that's eventually what killed him. But what we see here is that King Jesus... He tortures with silence. Like he, he, he kept his mouth shut for a lot of his arrest and a lot of his execution. He was quiet. He didn't talk a whole lot. Um, he towers over creation. That's kind of what he references and that he takes our punishment. And if, and if you're here like, I, I, don't, I don't know about this. I don't feel this. I, it's hard for you to kind of connect with this. Maybe that last point is where you're going to kind of enter into the story Maybe, maybe it'll help you connect with this. And so, so Jesus, again, he's at this trial. He's being falsely accused. They get all these witnesses. Their stories are kind of mixed up. Doesn't make sense. The high priest stands up and he just, he just uh, directly asks Jesus, are you going to answer these men? Jesus doesn't say anything. 
And then he says, are you the Messiah? Which the answer is, yeah, he is. And, and most people wouldn't deny that, um, um, at least until he disagreed with the Pharisees. And then he asked, the son, are you the son of the blessed one? And like I said, that's the bait on the hook. He, he wants Jesus to bite, and Jesus does. He proclaims, I am. And some theologians believe he's not just answering the question, he is taking on the name of God. The name of God is Yahweh. It's an acronym for I was, I am, and I will be. Um, and, and that middle part, I am, is what God calls himself um, in Exodus when he meets Moses. Like, like wh- who should I say sent me um, when he's going to go to Egypt? And he says, tell them I am is sending you. Okay? And so Jesus, some theologians believe, is he is claiming to be God, as he has said in other places. He's called himself the I am. And this means that, that he just exists. He is self-existent. Uh, he is existent in and of himself. He is God himself. Um, and then he says two very interesting things. He says, um, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, saying at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, at the seat of power, I'm going to be sitting there. You're going to see me. I, I knew, and, you will, and again, this partially happens later in the book of Acts. As Stephen is martyred, as follower of Jesus is killed by these same guys, the heavens opened up and Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And then he says something else. He says, you'll see me coming on the clouds of heaven. And he's coming to deal out punishment against his enemies. This is, this is kind of this um, eschatological, this, this future idea that Jesus will return as the Messiah to judge the living and the dead. And so um, what we see here is that Jesus towers over creation. Um, and lastly, what's implied is that he takes our punishment. Because, he, because he, he took the accusations and he was quiet and then he confessed who he was and they condemned him to death. And, 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 and again, this, this is where maybe some of us might, we might care a little bit more about this. You're like, I've heard this before. I know that Jesus said these things. But I think a lot of us, it's not just these Pharisees and scribes who are committing blasphemy. I think today some of us, maybe a lot of us, we lie about who God is. We lie about who Jesus is. And maybe it's not in the malicious, like, you know, Jesus is a flying spaghetti monster or Jesus is not God. Like, we don't say these big things, but we say things like, Jesus didn't forgive me. Jesus doesn't love me. Jesus doesn't want me. And a lot of time that, that is said in pain or that's said when we are experiencing the consequences of our own sin or we're, we're walking away from the Lord but guys, when we say those things, we're lying about the triune God, and we're lying about Jesus. Does, does that kind of make sense? Um, we're, we're, we're blaspheming. And again, I understand why we do that, why we feel that way, but we take the perfect Son of God who loves us infinitely, and we, we, we downgrade him. We're like, yeah, he's just a guy I kind of believe in. Um, I go to church because I, I don't feel anything for him unless I come to church and have some amazing worship. And connect with them, and I might go to groups sometimes, but, but a lot of times in our thoughts and our hearts, and we even sometimes say it out loud, we, we doubt that he loves us when the very reason he came was to love us. Do, do you guys know that? Like this wasn't a field trip. It wasn't like a science experiment. Jesus looked down and said, hey, it's Thursday. I'm going to go make those people mad. I'm going I'm to rile them up. I'm going to make them call me a blasphemer. He did it because he wants you. He did it to save you. He came to die on a cross. This is the compassion of God. Um, so what we've seen is that Jesus is the judge who forgives sin. He's the shepherd who leads in God's place. And he's the king who takes our punishment. And he does it all in love and compassion. He did it out of love. 
And if we're just going to think logically for a second, if Jesus is God and God is love, what does that mean? It means that his love is boundless. There is no end to the love of Jesus. It cannot stop. It cannot end because that's the very definition of God is that he's infinite. Um, Brendan Manning, and we're going to kind of close on this before communion. I know some of you guys are like, we got to get to in and out. The double-double doesn't order itself. I understand. <clears throat> um, but Brendan Manning, he's, he's an author, theologian, um, really... I like his stuff a lot. He talks about the love of Jesus and correlates it to the love of God, the compassion of God. And, and it says this. He says, the compassion of Jesus is the compassion of Almighty God. When you read in the Gospels, what we just read, that Jesus was moved with compassion, as he often was, it is saying that his gut was wrenched, his heart torn open, and the most vulnerable parts of his being laid bare. The ground of all being shook, the source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless tenderness was laid bare. Your Christian life and mine don't make any sense unless in the depths of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us, which he does, but knowing seeks us out whatever our poverty, even if we've caused it, whatever our pain. His plea to his people is come now wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, and I'll meet you where you live. And I'll love you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. Don't, do you really believe this? With all the wrong turns you made in your past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love, do you really believe that Jesus Christ loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but that he loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, limit. No matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. This is the Jesus of the Gospels. So Jesus came. He claimed divinity. He did everything he did, not only because he was, but he did it out of love for you. He came for you, and he came for me. So, so, so when we walk in this shadow land of doubting Jesus' presence and love and that he wants us, there's something called the cross, which is at the center of our faith. And if you don't know what that is, the cross was the mechanism, the place where Jesus died. Um, after this false trial, they had a real trial before the Roman governor Pilate, and Pilate condemned him to death. They crucified him, and Jesus died after six hours of hanging on a piece of wood. But as, as men were working to put Jesus to death, what the Bible says is that God was working as well. He was putting our sin on Jesus, our blasphemy, our rejection of God as God. It was put onto Jesus so we might be forgiven. And then Jesus died. And on the third day, he rose again. And guys, this, this shows beyond a shadow of a doubt the love and compassion of God. If Jesus is God, it means that his love does, it cannot end. And it will not end. And so um, I've got a couple of next steps for us. And then we're going to go to a time of communion. Um, and this time of communion is really where we get to connect with God. We get to connect with Jesus. That's what commun communion means, to hang out and connect. It means deep intimacy, okay, if you didn't know what that word means. So our first next step is to upgrade Jesus, okay? So I want you guys to just try to see Jesus a little bit higher than, than you see him now. Maybe even put him back into that God category, regardless of what it means for you, because some of us don't want to put him back there because then it means, well, I've got to do what he says. I've got to own up to the fact that I don't like him or I don't want him or I've never thought about him or I don't actually pursue him. But man, put him back in that God category and it'll, be, it'll do something amazing for you. 
You'll actually see God as he is. And then secondly, my, my next step, or the next step of what we just read, is to downgrade yourself, okay? I know you guys are awesome, you're beautiful, you guys are really cool, but take yourself down a peg or two. See that you are not as amazing as you think. That maybe past the beauty, there's brokenness and even sin. And, and, and what happens is as you upgrade Jesus to divine, relentless, loving God, and, and you downgrade yourself to, to what reality is maybe be made by God but broken and a, and a sinner, you, find, you strangely find, it's a paradox, you find communion with God. When God goes up and you go down, that's where communion is found. And communion is this idea of, of, of experiencing our relationship with God. That's my last next step, is to experience communion, which we're going to do right now. Communion is a meal that we take together. It has two elements. It has bread and it has uh, uh, juice or wine, okay? Um, we use juice at this church. And, and the elements represent something important, okay? I know a lot of you have taken this before you knew Jesus, and maybe now you don't know him. And if you're online, um, I would just say, go ahead and get some elements ready. Um, juice, um, wine, crackers, whatever you have, go ahead and get those ready as well. Um, um, right before Jesus' trial, um, what the text says, in the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he looked at his closest followers and said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. On a cross, I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be broken. But through that, I'm going to forgive your sin. And as you take the bread, as you put it in your mouth, as you bite down, you're to remember just as your teeth are crushing the bread, our sin crushed our Savior on the cross. But he did it willingly. And as we take the cup of juice, it represents his blood. And, and, and blood would have represented life and the new covenant, the new relationship we have with God. It's not that Jesus just took away our sin and said, hey, okay, we're good. He gives us his life. And when we drink of the cup, we remember the new covenant, the new relationship we get to have with God. And what the beauty of Christianity is that beauty supplants brokenness, doesn't it? Is, is that beauty takes the place of what was there before. And the life of Christ supplants the broken life that you and I have lived. And that's the hope of communion. That's the hope of the gospel. And so um, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, um, or you're online and you don't know him, um, I would say, what do you have to lose by finding him? What do you have to lose by admitting that he is the son of God? Jesus has given up so much for you. He gave up his life. He gave up um, his place in heaven for a time. He gave up um, his comfort. He gave up his, his uh, the, the glory of God is what um, the Bible says. The people didn't see him as glorious as God. So he can come down here and give up his life for you. And to accept that, all you have to do is believe in it. And that's it. To believe that God's love is relentless, that Jesus came to die for you and that he actually wants you. Beyond fidelity and infidelity, be, no matter what's happened, he wants you. So we would invite you, if that's you, to take communion today with us. If you've believed for the first time, we'd invite you to believe and then take communion. If you're a believer, you guys, let's take communion together as a family. Um, and if you don't know the Lord yet, um, communion may not be a time for you yet. Um, and we wanted to kind of just, just say that before we start. So I'm going to pray for us. And then you guys are welcome to come up after I pray when you want. Um, take communion. And then when you're ready, eat the bread and drink the cup. All right? All right. Father, thank you for... Um, these men and women um, who uh, do their best to love you, who are such an example to me. Um, those who came today who are new, who are just so excited to be here. Um, those who are here or online who don't yet know you. Um, thank you for them. But ultimately, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Um, uh, we sometimes downgrade your son from the very thing he died for. He claimed to be your son. He claimed to be God. 
And sometimes we, we, um, we forget that, Father. So would you help us to remember the beauty of your son Jesus, that he is indeed God. And what that means is that we can go to him to have eternal life. And it means that his love does not exhaust. It goes on and on and it will never stop. Help us to believe that now as we take communion in Jesus' name. Amen.